guys, this is TNC 165 for the week of Saturday, April 6th. Not a whole lot on the schedule this weekend. Not a lot to preview. We have some stuff to review from last week, and we've got some news and stuff, some rumors to cover, which we'll go over in a second. But get your questions in, because I'm going to be able to answer a lot of questions today. I don't know how long we'll go. We've been going for an hour and a half the last few weeks. But go ahead and get on the chat. Let me see. If, oh, we got a few of you guys already on there. Uh, cool. So get your questions in. Tiffany is gathering your questions here and then she's running behind the camera to finish cooking dinner in the kitchen no thunderstorm this time and i did not leave the windows open so we're good on all of that those of you who watched last week you know what i'm talking about okay guys um so before i get started just a quick reminder all right your fee for this show i don't charge a monetary fee all right i just ask you guys to get the word out about the channel if you get something from this podcast i'm not talking about doing this once. I'm talking about doing it every episode that you get something out of this podcast, right? This is TNC 165. If you get something out of this podcast, share it on your social media, your blog, whether it's your Facebook, your Twitter, uh, Instagram, whatever it is. If you're on any of those platforms and you follow me, tag me in it and I can uh, retweet it and, and get people you know, noticing your platform. I just want you guys to get the word out there about the show, all right, and about the channel and what we're trying to do here. We build this thing organically. We don't do sponsors. I don't do any exclusivity with one particular platform. You guys know I'm a free agent. I write for Boxing Monthly Magazine, which is a, a British publication. I write for Ring Magazine, which is an American publication. And I write for several other platforms. I do radio spots. I don't do anything exclusive with anybody because I like to have my own voice. And that's what this channel is for. This channel basically is a side thing, a side project on top of the regular journalistic work that I do on numerous platforms. And you guys know I try to be cool with everybody. So part of that means I don't get help from any one platform that blows up my stuff. That's why I need you guys. I need you to do it for me. I don't pay for subscribers. I don't pay for Twitter followers or Instagram followers. It is 100% organic. My fee to you each week for this show. Even on a dead week like this, we're doing TNC. How many podcasts do you guys know that do it rain, snow, or shine like we do? All right? I'm in the middle of renovating a damn house. I'm sitting in front of a white wall because I'm living out of boxes already. I'm moving in a month. Still giving you guys the show. All I ask for you, get the word out about the show, okay? If you do want to tip and help out financially, every dime we get goes right back into MOB. Check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. If you want to pick up an MOBT, email me, MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com, and we'll discuss it from there. I can give you guys the details, pricing, all of that. Several of you guys ordered t-shirts last week, and they'll be on their way soon. Okay, so news and rumors. Not a whole lot of news, except for the whole Jenny Suchet, Kubrat Pulev, Kissgate, lap dance gate thing around the world. Those of you who follow me on Twitter... You saw that I posted a video that Team Pulev, it actually wasn't officially Team Pulev, it was a fan page that they have, I think on Facebook, released a video that one of the guys in Pulev's entourage took of Jenny Suchet at the after fight celebration thing at some bar or whatever in Vegas, uh, giving one of, the, one of Pulev's boys a lap dance as the camera pans over. You can tell it was like a phone video. You could see Pulev sitting in the corner, hanging out with other people, but he's right there. 
the guy that she was giving the lap dance to, his face is blurred out. It's clearly not Pulev. I saw some rumors about that going around. It's not Pulev, but apparently it's a member of his crew. Um, On top of that, I've seen a lot of photoshopped pictures of her with her hand with Pulev, and the hand is lowered from the real pictures of her and Pulev that she posted on her Instagram. She's kind of got her arm around him, and one of her arms is over his stomach. Some people photoshopped it to put it over his groin. Guys, that's, that's bullshit. That's not true. But the video I posted on Twitter is legit, and I took a hell of a lot of shit from white knights in the boxing world. Uh, I had some people reporting me to uh, sexist, sexist pages on Twitter, trying to get my account suspended. I had some people forwarding information to uh, Golden Boy, to Ring Magazine, trying to dox me, trying to get my uh, whole Twitter account gone. That's how crazy this shit has become in social media. Uh, I didn't delete the tweet because I stand by what I said. All I said was, honestly, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It was kind of a tongue-in-cheek, kind of jokey thing. I, did, I never called the woman any ter- derogatory terms, and I never uh, condoned any of you guys out there who responded with some of that language to my tweet. I didn't condone any of that stuff. You know, I don't want you guys using certain words to describe this woman. I'm not asking for that. I'm just showing that video on my Twitter profile because it is very relevant to her lawsuit, which is seeking damages against Pulev, saying that she, you know, she was traumatized and this was such a horrible thing, yet th- later that night she's partying with the guy. I don't give a damn if she's giving some dude a lap dance. For all we know, that could have been a guy she's dating. I'm just saying her being in any event with Pulev right there, 10 feet away, partying, having a good time, she didn't seem traumatized to me. So from a legality, uh, damages-seeking lawsuit perspective, that certainly sheds new light on the case. I was in no means trying to judge this woman or, or bash her, but I am bashing her credibility to a degree, yes. I take all the shit for it on Twitter. I get pounded by people, including people in the boxing industry, not just detractors I have that think all kinds of negative incorrect things about me, but people I actually know and care about and are friends of mine jump down my damn throat for that because they took it the wrong way. And now what happens? Monday, I go on Twitter, every damn Twitter account, every damn YouTube channel is showing that damn video. Every Facebook page, every blog has that video. None of those guys are taking the shit I did. That's what happens when you put it out there first before it's safe to. Those of you who have been following me for a long time, you remember when I did a video about Ronda Rousey when she won her ESPN Fighter of the Year, I think it was Fighter of the Year award or something, over guys like Floyd Mayweather and other boxers. I want to say maybe maybe, uh, Terrence Crawford was a candidate, maybe Sergey Kovalev. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know damn well Floyd Mayweather was one of the candidates. And Ronda Rousey won. And I made a YouTube video just talking about how ridiculous that was because clearly Ronda Rousey was nowhere on the same stratosphere. I'm talking level of fighter, not level of star, level of fighter as a guy like Floyd Mayweather, let alone a million other guys in boxing, but also in MMA. I got just bashed, just bashed, beat up by white knights, by feminists. There were uh, people uh, threatening me with lawsuits. and I had crazy emails. I saved all of them. And 
what happens? She ends up losing to Holly Holm. She ends up losing to Amanda Nunez. And then everybody is saying what I said two years prior. Even Max Kellerman and all the, the talking heads at ESPN, the White Knights, usually those guys play that role, were going in talking about how overrated and what a hype job Ronda Rousey was when it was safe to. When you put yourself out there and have an opinion, before it's safe to, you're going to take shit. My advice, and I'm learning as I go, because I've clearly made some mistakes along the way, is be confident in your position and know that your position is right. In the end, when everything comes out, you will be vindicated. It's been the case for me with the Ronda Rousey thing, uh, with Floyd Mayweather IV gate, eh, not, so, not as much because of the power structure there in Nevada. Uh, but Alexander Povetkin, performance enhancing drugs, that whole situation. And with this Jenny Suchet thing, I got several people, inside sources, that contacted me this weekend when they saw that blow up on Twitter. They told me certain things about the case that are not yet public. I cannot go on record with it, guys. But all I will tell you is this thing is going to get really, really messy. It depends if both sides keep pushing. If the lawsuit continues and you know these people that are in this woman's ear telling her, hey, we need to push forward, you're a victim, we need to go after this guy and, and get money. If they keep pushing, this thing's gonna get ugly. All right, that's all I'm gonna say about that. So uh, rant over, I'm sure you guys will have questions, we'll talk more about it. I will tell you as much as I can on the record. Now, real quick, fight rumors. So there, some of them are legit, some of them I don't know. Two legit fight rumors that I think are going to happen, and they, they make sense logically, logistically for the PBC. Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman. We talked a little bit about that last week. I've been saying for weeks, actually, I've been saying even before Spence Garcia that, that I think that fight's a real possibility. When Pacquiao got up in the ring against Spence, or after you know Spence beat Garcia, I tweeted immediately, I don't think Pacquiao wants this. And I don't think any of the fans want it. Some of you guys said you'd like to see it, but many of you were like, no, nah, we don't want this. I think PBC heard that. I think it was more or less getting Pacquiao in the ring with Spence to help promote the next fight. Anytime you get Pacquiao involved and just get a camera on Pacquiao, that gets eyes on your event. So that's why Pacquiao is there. Anyway, he is very likely going to fight Keith Thurman and probably in July, which I think is awesome because we're not having to wait till October, November or some shit. Supposedly we're getting it in the summer. I'll believe it when I see it as far as it happening that soon, but if it really happens in July in Las Vegas, man, that's awesome. It's gonna be 5,000 degrees outside in Las Vegas, but they've got air conditioning at the casinos. Uh, and then also, Errol Spence and Sean Porter. That fight makes a ton of sense. They're talking about doing that in September. September. So if you get Pacquiao Thurman and then you get Spence Porter in, in, this, in two or three months, if you get those two fights, those are big fights. Both of those fights are matchups between top 10 welterweights, right? I don't really rate uh, the Pacquiao's title. I think it's paper thin. But in the case of Spence Porter, that's a real title unification. For Pacquiao Thurman, that is a brand building type of fight for Thurman. Garcia helped, Mikey Garcia helped uh, build Errol Spence's brand. We just saw a brand building exercise there. Now, if you see Thurman fight Pacquiao, that's a brand building thing right there. 
if Spence and Thurman win those two fights, and I think they probably will, that sets up a big fight next year between Spence and Thurman. That's all the good stuff if it all comes off. Those are all positives. Here's the negatives. Both of those will be pay-per-view. Both of those will cost you guys $85. They always say $75, which is really stupid and uh, just disingenuous because nobody has standard def anymore. Nobody pays the $75. It's $85, right? Now, in the past four months, you've already paid, what, $320-something for the three pay-per-views that PBC's given you. And I talked about this last week. In a week or two, a couple weeks, you're going to get Crawford Con. That's another 85 bucks. That's another platform. That's ESPN. But PBC especially, dude, they've given you three already in the past few months. Now you're going to get two more. I like those matchups, okay? I wish, I wish a Spence Porter fight would be on Fox. Think about it, guys. Fox, not, not even Showtime. It's the same thing with Pacquiao Thurman, but I understand they're going for the money there. M Manny signed with PBC clearly for the money. So they're going to go pay-per-view anytime <clears throat> Manny fights. But for Spence Porter, who are not household names like Pacquiao is, man, if you put that on regular Fox, that would do such a rating. I'd love to see Pacquiao Thurman regular Fox, don't get me wrong, but just with the financials, what Pacquiao is demanding for his, for his you know, uh, guaranteed purse, they can't do it. They just can't. There's a lot of foreign money helping them out there, but they have to go pay-per-view. But man, Spence, Porter, Fox, that'd be awesome. But that's going to be pay-per-view. Anyway, there's also rumors about Vladimir Klitschko coming back. So boxing scene, which posts a lot of rumors and clickbait. That's pretty much, there's a lot of legit news in there and some analysis and interviews and stuff, but they post 30, 40 headlines a day sometimes, and the majority of them are clickbait. And they're just rumors. And they're very careful the way they word things. But if you look, I think it was Kevin Eidick who posts constantly. He posted a thing today about Vladimir Klitschko. And he said that there's a Ukrainian site that reported that Klitschko apparently signed a deal with the zone for three fights worth $120 million. Guys, I asked around. I can't get an answer from anybody. No one's saying no, but no one's saying yes. Nothing's been reported by Vladimir Klitschko. Nothing's been reported by DAZN. Nothing from any of the promotional people that would be involved in that, loosely affiliated with that. I can't get answers from nobody. So this, apparently this site said May 25th he would return. I'm just thinking, man, that is, I don't know, a month and a half away. If he was going to return and you're paying $120 million, six weeks, that's not enough time to promote a damn event. So, uh, and then it's in Ukraine, apparently. So, look, it'd be awesome if Vladimir Klitschko comes back. He's, what, 42, 43 years old right now? Still in better shape than most damn heavyweights right now. And it would immediately, instantly be a top 10, if not top 5 heavyweight, depending on what kind of shape he's in and how close he is to the prime Klitschko of 10 years ago. Uh, we, we won't know until we'd see him. But this source is some obscure, it's not an obscure site, but it's a, it's a Ukrainian sports site, I guess. That's it. Nothing from the mainstream boxing press. So I, I hope it's true. I hope something comes of this. But it's also April Fool's Day. I'm just saying. We've heard rumors of Vladimir Klitschko returning for the last two years, you know, however many years now. It's never panned out. 
So I think we should all calm down. All right, guys, that's really it with news and notes. It's more really rumors and speculation this week, but let's get into some Q&A. Let's see. Let me pull up my notes here as Tiffany sends me your questions. All right. Alex Suarez, what's for dinner? Chicken, broccoli, Assorted vegetables and chicken. She's stir frying something in some uh, chili sauce, chili, yeah, and brown rice. Healthy. We're trying to go healthy because we were bad this weekend. Did a lot of work on the house and ate like shit. We had friends in town from LA. We went to Ponce Market and we ate some Chinese food. It was really oily. It was good, but oily. Chad Fletcher asks, is Triple G really fighting Brandon Adams from Contender? Okay. So I did talk to the people involved in this. Uh, I, I don't want to go on record with too much. Okay, um, several names are being considered. The fight with Brandon Adams that was reported for whatever reason, there are certain reporters that really are kind of Triple G detractors, and they're part of the mainstream boxing press that try to make him look bad all the time. And I don't understand it, but they like to report shit about Golovkin well before it's official. So. The rumors that Golovkin Adams was official and this was done and they're doing it, absolutely not true. It is not even signed. Like Adams is, he's one of the names being considered by multiple fighters, not just Golovkin. But Golovkin, his people, they're looking at several different names. Okay, so nothing is official. We'll see what happens. But I had people close to that promotion contact me and say, hey, Mike, none of this shit's official. All right, so uh, just to let you guys know. Michael Peterson asks, who do you consider the 10 greatest heavyweight champions of all time? Man, I don't know if I can name 10 right off the top of my head. I'd have to think about it. But of course, I rate Lewis number one, Ali, Marciano, Johnson, Foreman, Holmes, uh, Vladimir Klitschko. Did I say Lennox Lewis yet? Oh, how can I Lennox Lewis, um, Dempsey, uh, Holyfield. Let's, let's give that 10 right now. But look. A few of those names are interchangeable, okay? A few of those names are definitely interchangeable. Uh, Sam Langford, can put him in there. Uh, there's, there's several guys. Tunney. But, you know, top guys, like the, the first five names or so that pop into my head, Ali, Lewis, um, Holmes, who I think is criminally underrated. Those are the top three, honestly. And then after that, you could shuffle around the order, but the names that I gave you, that's the top dozen or so in any particular order with Lewis, always number one on my list. October 4th asks, have there been any boxers you have interviewed that intimidated you to the point where you were nervous to ask tough questions? Guys you thought might take a swing at you. Never had that feeling. For the most part, boxers are extremely, extremely nice guys. But there was one time where I interviewed Berman Stavern where I could tell he was just ready to fight. He was over, he was having a bad day. He didn't want to do the press thing. He was just over it. And he was knuckling up while, while he was talking. He was, you know, just, he was almost, I, I don't know how to describe it, uh, pumping his, his fists and it just, he was ready to fight. It was when he was gonna have his rematch with Chris Ariola, which he won by knockout. I can't remember what round. But I could just tell that dude was primed. And I was just thinking to myself, man, this dude, if, if, I, uh, if I took a swing or something right now, he'd actually swing back. Like, he's ready to go. And this was like three days before the fight. That dude was so jacked. 
and motivated for that fight. It's a shame he couldn't have acted that way for his entire career. But more than any other fighter, you wouldn't think him, right? More than any other fighter, I, I honestly thought if some dude mouth, mouths off to him in the parking lot or somebody asked him the wrong question, he might, he might just kind of flip. He, he, he just, he was there, man. He was there. He was ready to fight. And he was just, just trigger happy. You could just feel it. That's the only one that ever pops in my mind. Because I have a lot of people ask me that question. LC asked me, Mike, who do you think are five of the best boxers fundamentally to learn from past and present? Whew. Dude. I mean, we can go back over a century. Um, I mean, if you want to go like old school, defensive, that's the thing too. It's like, what skill are you trying to learn, bro? Because, you know, Willie Pep, you want to learn defense. Look at Willie Pep and Sweet Pea. You know, look at those two guys. Uh, overall, just boxer puncher skills. Look at Tony Canzanieri. Look at Greb. Um, let's see. Uh, you could look at um, both Leonard's. Both Leonard's, right? Uh, there's so many guys you could look at. Uh, you know, for all the hype Ali gets, and I understand why he's so popular and everything, wasn't necessarily the most fundamentally sound fighter in terms of defense. He could be tagged, man. And I'm talking about Ali in his prime. CompuBox put together a, 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 um, a study a few years ago. Actually, it might have been like this year, last year, where it talked about, they looked back at all of his fights and looked at the punches landed on Ali, and you'll be really surprised. Ali wasn't the most fundamentally sound guy. He just, he had it right here, man. And that's what got him through some of those defensive uh, liabilities he had. The chin ended up costing him. But um, in recent times, again, defensively recent times, let's, you know, Pernell Whitaker, Sugar Ray Leonard, I'm big on Sugar Ray Leonard. Offensive machine, Tommy Hearns. Um, if, if you want to jab, the best jab since Larry Holmes was Vladimir Klitschko. This is going to be an unpopular opinion. Vladimir Klitschko's jab was better than Lennox Lewis's. Yeah, I'm saying it. It was second in heavyweight history to Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes had the best jab ever. Vladimir Klitschko, second best. So uh, right hand is up there too. Vlad's right hand might have been the best in heavyweight history. I, I know, don't shoot the messenger, guys, but look at the fundamentals of his right hand. Uh, just sick. Uh, so it depends on what you want to look at, dude. I could do an hour on that video. I'm sorry if my answer isn't specific enough, but there's just, there's just so many ways you can go with that. Uh, Matthew D'Souza asks, what was Pac's plan when he signed with PBC? Easy, get paid. The Broner fight for him was a way to get paid and not take any punishment. Broner's a B-level fighter with an A-level name for whatever reason. You know, we were people getting hysterics over Pulev kissing a woman. Broner has a rap sheet longer than my above-average dick, and people still give that dude a pass and put him in these uh, huge opportunities that he doesn't deserve where he makes a ton of money. Anyway, sorry, rant. Uh, Pacquiao got that fight brand build well not brand building uh money making fight for him and that's what they're going to do with him for the most part but they're also going to use him to build brands off of him and that's what the thurman fight will be pacquiao will get paid like a mug in that fight he'll get good money particularly with the overseas money and thurman will get a career high payday but thurman will get a bump in brand and that's why they brought pac over there FPJP asks, any information regarding who Josh Taylor will fight May 18th? Is Baranchek in or out? 
Dude, I flat up don't know. Um, but I really had hope Baranchek was still in it and they were going to figure it out. What I, the last I've heard, not looking good. He, which I think is a stupid move on his part. And it's starting to look, guys, I don't want to use the word duck, but it's starting to look more and more and more like Baranchek just wants no part of going over there and fighting Taylor in his backyard. And um, I'll, I'm going to use the word avoiding, okay? We don't know enough information to just say flat out duck. But career high payday, funds are secured. They, they have secured the funding. It's guaranteed. And um, biggest fight of your career, and you're walking away from that, that doesn't look good. So for Taylor, I don't know who they're going to put in. I really don't. Um, they always name some alternates going in, and I just can't remember who. They, I think they had one or two alternates at 140 pounds. I will look into it and try to find out. But I, honestly, dude, it's not looking good for him and Branchek. But Josh Taylor will fight on that date. He's going to fight somebody, and if he wins, he's in the finale. That's it. Johnny Boy asks, does Lomachenko stop Crawler? Man, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's certainly possible, of course. Uh, but number one, Crowley ain't going to quit. He's not going to quit. Just like I, I, I did not think Mikey Garcia would quit against Errol Spence. That's why I told you guys for months that fight will go the distance. Now, I was wrong in it being competitive, but I told you to go the distance. And that's kind of how I look at the lomachenko Crowley fight. I, don't, I see it being completely one-sided. Crowley is naturally bigger and stronger. He could use some of that physicality to his advantage, at least early on, and have moments. But I think that from the third, fourth round on, Lomachenko is going to completely own him. But there's a very good chance it'll go the distance. Guys, Lomachenko could make 126 right now if he really wanted to, let alone 130. He fights not one, but two weight classes above his... I guess his natural weight, because he's a grown man. It's not like he's a 25-year-old doing this. He's a grown man in his 30s. He has to go up two weight classes to get fights. That's how ducked he was at featherweight. And I don't think the top guys... Does Javante Davis really want to fight with Vasily Lomachenko? If he really, really wanted it, they'd make it happen. He doesn't. Guys like uh, Leo Santa Cruz, they don't, they don't want any part of Lomachenko. They just don't. So he had to go up two weight classes. I say that because he's going up against the guy who's been fighting at lightweight for a while, right? And is a naturally bigger, stronger guy in Crawler. So it, it should be a one-sided whitewash decision, but there is a chance that he could stop him late. Crawler could cut or something. There is a chance of that. I just, if you put a gun to my head, it goes the distance. Lomachenko wins a 10 rounds to two kind of decision. Matthew D'Souza with another question. Will we see any unifications in the 130 or 175 division anytime soon? I don't know, bro. I don't know. Um, look, 175 is really split up right now. But there's a couple of guys at ESPN. We just saw Vozdik fight. Uh, Baturbiev has a fight coming up. So pop, you know, possibly those two guys could fight. Uh, Kovalev, I think, has a mandatory situation coming up, and then Bevel's over at the zone. But Kovalev, once he handles his mandatory situation, he's got to fight Anthony Yard. You know, let's say he wins. He's been on the, uh, ESPN, so it's possible he could return. If he fights, let's say, Anthony Yard this summer, wins, he could return at the end of the year in a unification fight. I do think we'll get, I think it's very possible, within the next 12 months, 
whether it's early 2020 or by the end of this year, we'll see unification at 75. I don't know about 130, man. I just don't. Uh, Joe Uden asked, do you see Vargas being able to take the rematch versus Burchelt in Tucson? Dude, that's, that's going to be a good fight. That's kind of sliding under the radar. Vargas has just been in too many wars. I've, you know, I've been ringside for several of them, and I feel fortunate to be able to say that. But, um, you know, I, I just – Burchelt's younger, he's stronger. Hasn't been the most active and consistent guy, but younger, stronger. You just have to favor him. But Vargas is going to make it really, really tough. But I favor Burchelt possibly by light TKO in that fight. All right, guys, uh, we'll get back to some questions in a bit. I want to just get into the review real quick and talk about what we saw last week. We had fights all over the place. Thursday, March 28th on the Roy Jones Jr. Promotions card in San Antonio on UFC Fight Pass. Uh, local fighter out of San Antonio, Kendo Castaneda, improved to 16-0 with the unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder. 25 years old, 140-pound prospect. Uh, I think his last two fights went to 10-round distance. So he's getting in some rounds now, which is good for a prospect to do. Friday the 29th, Oleksandr Teslenko, a Ukrainian-born Toronto-based heavyweight, six foot four, 26 years old, improved to 16-0 and 12 knockouts with a unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder himself. And then Saturday the 30th in Australia, Jason Maloney, rebounded from his split decision loss to Emmanuel Rodriguez in the opening round of the uh, second season of the World Boxing Super Series. He scores a TKO5 win, so he's back in the win column. In Spain, fight that flew under the radar. I totally forgot about this one during the preview last week. David Avenesian scored a TKO9 win over local undefeated, came in undefeated, fighter uh, Kerman Laharaga. Lahara Jesus. The, the Haraga. I should be able to pronounce that. Uh, that was a welterweight fight. So, uh, of course, Evanesian. Uh, one of those guys, right in the bubble at welterweight. Like a, I, fringe contender, I guess. Fringe contender, maybe top 10 welterweight, right in the mix, right? Makes it a tough night out for anybody and beats any borderline guy, any B-level guy. Over in uh, Liverpool at the Echo Arena, a matchroom card on Sky and the Zone here in the States. At the main event, Liam Smith improves to 26-7-1 with a TKO5 win over Sam Eggington. This was a complete one-sided beatdown. There are levels to this game, ladies and gentlemen. And Smith, yes, he lost badly to, uh, to Canelo Alvarez. He lost to Jaime Munguia. But guess what? against just about everybody else in that division that's not in the top five or so, he's going to look pretty damn good. And he's going to have his moments even against the top-level guys. Liam Smith is a good quality fighter. Uh, so tough night out for anybody. Now, again, I'd favor guys like Hurd to beat him, guys like that, even uh, Charlo. I think uh, Harrison would have a chance to beat him. But just under that level, Smith's probably going to beat all those guys. You know, he, he's, a, he's a good quality fighter, so don't forget about him just because he lost to Canelo and Munguia. Pulls out a good win here. Eggington, tough as shit, would just not quit. And the ref jumped in and stopped it. I was very happy they did. Uh, really, really good fight in the co-main. Scott Fitzgerald scores a split decision win in a 10-rounder against Anthony Fowler. These two guys had a real rivalry coming in. Uh, Fitzgerald 
missed weight, not once, but twice, made weight on his third attempt. He came in only like six ounces over. So he just had a tough time boiling down. It's not like he came in three pounds over. Just really tough to burn off that last little bit. And that's why going into this fight, I favored Fowler. And Fowler had it. He had a big ninth round. He had Fitzgerald hurt. Uh, didn't drop him, but had him clearly hurt. 10-9 round, but I could see some people out there may have scored a 10-8. I thought it was 10. I don't like scoring 10-8 rounds unless there's a knockdown. But in the 10th round, Fitzgerald knew he was down, and he came out swinging, drops Fowler. He scores a 10-8 round, and that is what wins the fight for him. Because had, uh, had Fowler won that 10th round, he would have won a unanimous decision. But him losing that round, and not if he would have just lost a 10-9, I think it would have been a majority draw. But him getting dropped, because I think two of the scorecards had it uh, for Fitzgerald by one point. Two of the judges had it by one point. So it was that knockdown that made the difference. One of the cool things about boxing, man, you could just, just that moment when Fitzgerald landed that combination and Fowler went down, changed the fight. It pulled out the fight for him. And for Fowler, uh, I got to give him credit. He posted on social media, on Twitter. Uh, he posted like a picture of himself with a little piece of pie. And he said, I have to eat the humble pie after all the trash I talked. Uh, you know, so, so they're both in good spirits. What's interesting is Fowler looked pretty good after the fight. Fitzgerald, I tweeted the picture of him. You guys saw it. Huge, just huge circles around his eyes. Really, really beat up. He took a lot of hard punches. It's clear that Fowler has the heavier hands. Uh, but Fitzgerald, the more accurate puncher, the quicker puncher, in a, in a sense, not exactly, but in a sense, Fowler kind of reminded me in certain ways of Carl Frotch, and Fitzgerald kind of reminded me of Carl Frampton. So they both reminded me of two Carls from the UK, uh, just a little bit in their styles and their demeanor and the way they throw punches and everything. But these two have to do it again at some point. Also on that card, I talked about David Price. The guy who's been knocked out by everybody. The heavyweight who's been knocked out by everyone. He was fighting an undefeated fighter named Cash Ali, who came in, I think, 15-0. Ali was being beat by Price and was frustrated. In the fifth round, he, he grabs Price, tackles him, and then bites him. Doesn't go Tyson and bite the ear or anything like that. He bites him on the damn stomach. And immediately the ref is like, what the hell? He's trying to pull him off, and he sees him biting price price is like you know pointing to his stomach and so uh yeah they pull him off it's like disqualification mate you bit him in the fucking stomach mate boom he's out of there so as ali's leaving the arena people were pelting him with beers uh with all kinds of stuff and you guys i i think i i think i tweeted the video of it or retweeted it or whatever where you could see people just i mean it wasn't just one or two beers he was getting just a barrage of shit thrown at him and quite frankly he deserved it what a dick but uh for price hey could it get any weirder i mean just what a weird fight but he's back in the wing column so good for him he is going to fight on for what it's worth he said if klitschko does come back he wants to fight him i hope that doesn't happen because a 90 year old klitschko would ko a prime david price uh 2300 arena in philadelphia there is a top rank show on ESPN. In the main event, Alexander Bozdick approves the 17-0 with the TKO5 over Dudu Dugumbu, who fought like Dudu. Awkward, looked really scared, looked like he didn't belong there. 
Um, I, I have no idea where the hell they found this guy and how he found himself into this fight. He claimed he had a calf injury. Whatever. It looked like he wanted out of the fight, and it, the writing was on the wall. Vozdik was eventually going to stop this guy. Vozdik didn't look spectacular. Basically kept it very simple. Ones and twos. Stayed on the outside. He does fight down to the level of his opposition to a certain degree. I think that's just his mentality and it is the mentality of some Eastern European fighters where, hey man, I'm not gonna take a risk. Why? I can beat this guy just staying on the outside, one, two, one, one, two, half a pivot, one, two, one, one, two, half step back, one, two, one, one, two. I can do this shit for 12 rounds. I make a few hundred grand, I defend my title and I don't take a scratch. I can go home, I could drive home right now and have sex with my wife and you know, not even need a nap afterwards. That's just the mentality. They're punching into work. When he steps up and fights a top guy, we saw how he looked against the Dennis Stevenson who was faded past his best that wasn't a prime Stevenson, but it was still a good enough Stevenson to what draw with Badu Jack and beat some other top like heavyweights in recent years. And we saw what Vozdik did to him. He dominated the guy. So when he's matched with a guy that challenges him, he steps it up. But when he's in there against a the guy whose name is Dudu, he's going to kind of fight like Dudu. Just dominant, but not necessarily entertaining. Anyway, in a co-main, Igadijus Kavliauskas gets a majority draw against Ray Robinson, uh, the fighter I told you guys uh, from Philly, coming off a loss to Ugas, Jordanus Ugas, uh, last year. So he had a bit of a layoff. This is over a year for him. But this was in his hometown, and he gave it his all. I thought that he fought, um, you know, look, he's a legit guy. If, if he, he was competitive with Ugas. I mean, he took an L, but um, he's not trash. He's a good quality fighter. And Kavliowskis, another guy that sometimes he looks really good. Sometimes he doesn't look so good. He just didn't look good in this fight. I don't know what the deal is there. But two judges had it 95-95. The Philly judge... Rose Lacand, L-A-C-E-N-D, scored at 97-93 for Ray Robinson. Most people felt that scorecard was shit, that this was pretty much a draw, a 95-95 fight. That's the way I saw it. I thought it was a split right down the middle. So for the Philly judge to have the Philly fighter winning 7 of 10 rounds, yeah, that looks a little suspicious. And also on this card, Kudratio Ubdukukarov improved to 16-0, the unanimous uh, decision win over Keita Obara. He is now the mandatory for Errol Spence's IBF welterweight title. So if Spence ends up fighting Sean Porter uh, this September, which we think he will, that means he's going to be done fighting for the year. He ain't going to fight again by the end of the year. But that means probably early next year, Abdul Kukarov would be in line for that one but two titles. Whoever wins that fight, whether it's Spence or Porter, he would be in line for the IBF. And if that fighter wanted to keep their IBF title, they'd have to fight this guy. So only 16 fights in, he's lined himself up pretty damn well. So there's a guy who used the sanctioning organization system to his advantage, worked his way up, and he's got an opportunity that's going to happen probably in the next 12 months or so. Uh, you know, to me, the jury's still out of this guy. 
I just you look at his resume I'm not that impressed yet he was 170 and 10 as an amateur that's a nice looking amateur record but he never fought in international competition that I can see he only fought in regional competition in Uzbekistan now Uzbekistan's team is awesome so they're you know that's that's they're right up there with Kazakhstan Ukraine Cuba okay but you got to fight in international and global competitions bro so 170 and 10, that's impressive, but it kind of reminds me of Luis Ortiz, the Cuban heavyweight who has this great amateur record, but he never left Cuba. He only fought in Cuba. He never fought guys from other parts of the world. So impressive, but regionally impressive. So I still don't know what to think about Abdu Kukurov. Also Saturday, Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, Golden Boy Promotions on the zone, Ryan Garcia. The prospect everyone has fallen in love with improved to 18-0, 15 knockouts, scores a retirement win against Jose Lopez. Kind of quit on a stool after the first round. Um, some awkward knockdown. I think it was one knockdown. Uh, Bernard Hopkins called it three knockdowns, but Bernard Hopkins didn't have a very good night on that broadcast. Uh, but... Garcia landed a lot of the punches to the back of the head, to the side of the head. He also missed a hell of a lot of punches. He looked almost Deontay Wilder-esque. Just he threw the punches with, I don't want to say precision, uh, proper technique. But he looked kind of Deontay Wilder-ish when he has a fighter hurt. Just swinging all over the place and missing a lot of them. But eventually enough of them connected. Not necessarily to the front of uh, Lopez's head, but to the back to where he fell down. But he didn't want any more in the second round. He was done, so he quit. What this fight did for Ryan Garcia, not a goddamn thing. Nothing. My dick could have went more than a round with Garcia. Boy, I probably shouldn't have said that because that's going to be on a meme somewhere. If somebody took that the, and uh, spun it the right way, that wasn't good. Uh, okay, in the main event, Angel Costa, Puerto Rican fighter, KO's Mexican veteran, Ganagan Lopez in the sixth round, improves to 20-1 and one with 20 knockouts. The third defense of his WBO Junior flyweight title. Also on this card, some uh, prospects winning. Eduardo Hernandez, a 21-year-old, 130-pounder. Uh, Joel Gonzalez, a 25-year-old featherweight. Aaron McKenna, a 19-year-old welterweight out of Ireland. And Antonio Orozco, the veteran. They all won. So uh, that was it on the zone. And then Sunday, March 31st, I don't think this was on TV anywhere, but I saw this, and uh, it's definitely something noteworthy. In Brazil, Esquivio Falcao, 2012 Olympian. He was a silver medalist in the 2012 Olympics. And Robson Kansekau, 2016 gold medalist in the Rio Games. They fought and won. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Falcao is 29 years old. He has a twin brother, Yamaguchi. He's 22-0 now, uh, South, middleweight southpaw, good quality fighter. And Kansakau's 30 years old, 11-0 now. He's a 130-pound prospect worth keeping your eyes on. Okay, so that was uh, everything last week. We had fights all over the place. Now, let me get to some of your questions. Let me see where we're at here. 43 minutes in. All right. Uh, okay. Let's go to Cian, who asked... How do you know so much about so many boxers who aren't your era? Do you watch old fights on YouTube or talk to boxing historians in what or what? I'm interested in learning about boxers from the past. All the above, man. Um, I do watch a lot of old footage, uh, DVDs, YouTube, documentaries. I also like to read boxing books 
and I go online and read a lot of uh, articles and stuff, but I've been very fortunate. I've found myself uh, in situations after covering fights and events, you know, where you wind up hanging out with a, a fighter's team or, or a trainer or something. You end up in a hotel room and there's somebody there uh, who's a boxing guy who's, you know, in his 80s and he's been around and you just sit there and shut up and listen and let the man talk. And um, I've been very fortunate to be in those situations a lot of times. Also, my mentors in the business, they've been around, they've seen it all. I sit and listen to them when we go out and have drinks to the stories. And yeah, man, I'm just, dude, I love this sport and I love the, the history behind it. It is such a storied history. I mean, only baseball can really compete with it in terms of American sports. Um, there, there, there's, there's so many parallels to society, societal change, uh, things just, just the way things have changed and not just with sports here in America, but all media, not just sports media, but all media, politics, everything. So yeah, I, I spend a lot of time looking at old fights and stuff like that. I really, really, truly enjoy it. Uncle Bert apostrophe asks, does Vosdick strike you as cold and unfazed when it comes to the Stevenson situation? Or do you think it's likely just a defensive barrier? Um, it's just a cultural thing. Vostik is a religious guy, a very, very good person. Uh, I could say the same thing about Alexander Usyk, uh, Vasily Lomachenko the same way. Usyk's a funny guy. Usyk has a more colorful personality, so does Vasily. But uh, Alexander is a little quieter, a little more stoic, but he is a, is a caring, nice guy. And I guarantee you, um, yes, he was concerned about Stevenson and wishes him a speedy recovery. He's just not the most, um, I don't know what the right word is, gregarious? I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, he, he's just, doesn't have the, the brightest personality, but he's a very, very good guy. And I know that he's a religious guy, so he definitely cares. October 4th asks, have you ever considered joining the Border Wars events on TBV and sparring one of them? You are a heavyweight like Nestor Gibbs, and I think you would light him up. Oh, you're talking about the boxing voice. I don't know what Border Wars is. Um, you guys will have to educate me on that. Uh, it's funny you mention that. I actually, you know what? I met Nestor Gibbs in Arlington um, at Spence Garcia, and he walked up to me and like shook my hand and said, hi, Mike, I just wanted to come say hi, it, it, you know, meet you in person. And, you know, I, I was busy. I was working on stuff. I had a million deadlines. So, like, my brain was scrambled. It took me a second to, like, uh, recognize who it, who it was. Um, but um, that made an impression on me. And, you know, he, you know, I was so busy, I had to get back to my stuff. I couldn't really talk with him or anything. But I have to admit, um, that was very, very cool of him. So, um, you know, if they, they do sparring on their channels, you guys will have to educate me in the comment section. If they do something like that, that could be fun. Hell yeah, I'd spar Nestor, why not? Good times, man. Next time I'm down there, we could work out or something. That'd be fine. I didn't know he does that. I did. I know which guys work out and, you know, train and stuff like that, but that's, there's a few guys in LA that I know who do, but that's pretty much it. If Nestor does, then that's pretty cool, man. Um, Cause yeah, he's my size. Actually, he, I mean, he's bigger than me. I'm probably as tall as him, but he's a bigger guy. I love sparring guys who weigh more than me. It's awesome. Sabby MD asks, what are the chances of Pavlik making a comeback as a heavyweight? And what kind of career could he have? Could he be a title contender? Watch my interview with him, man, because I actually talked to him, 
you want to talk about just a really cool dude. Kelly Pavlik is just a super cool, humble, down-to-earth guy. Just talking with him and shooting the shit with him, which I did at that event, Spence Garcia. Met, we met so many people there, babe. It was really cool, huh? Oh, yeah. But he... Uh, you would never know. This guy was the undisputed middleweight champion of the world. You just would not know it. There's some guys out there who win an interim title, WBA, silver, dickless title, whatever, and they walk around like they're fucking Muhammad Ali. This dude was the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, and you would not know it talking to him. He is the most humble, coolest guy. And we were just shooting the shit. His, a couple of his friends were there, and they were like, dissing up i mean in the fun you know how how friends do getting in his ass and making jokes and shit with them and, st- and i was just like he this is just like one of my boys that's just how he acts anyway i asked him about that he, he's i want to say he's like 230 some pounds because i talked to him about lifting weights and working out he trains a lot what he's weighing right now and he's talked about coming back possibly at cruiser possibly at heavyweight would he ever contend for a title absolutely not those days are long gone but he could come back and make for some fun events, especially if he did it in Youngstown. And he has not ruled it out. He hasn't said he would, but he hasn't ruled it out either. So I, you put a gun to my head, dude, he's going to have one more fight. I, I just think it's coming. The ring is a siren, and she calls you. And it's hard to walk away from the lights. I've done this much boxing in my lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Just, I've maybe sparred 200 rounds in my life. And just that, there are times where I itch, just itch for the contact. You know what I'm saying? It's, I haven't sparred in a while. I've been working on this damn house so much. I haven't been training. So, uh, so I just, I'm kind of itching for it. I'm kind of just itching to get hit and hit someone. Not in a bad way. It's just, it's addictive. So these guys who have fought at the highest level and they've been under the bright lights and shit, they're always going to want to go back. As long as they're physically able to. I, Kelly will have one more fight at least. GP365Y asks, what do you think of Chino Maidana back in training for a comeback? I think a fight with Porter would be fun. He ain't going to fight Porter the first fight back, I can tell you that much. He's not going to fight a top 10 guy's first fight back. Maidana's a fun guy. He's a character, and he's really awkward. He always brings it. He throws punches from crazy angles. He'll literally loop a shot up like this and punch down at the top of your head. He don't give a shit. He'll throw both hands at the same damn time. I still don't know if he could come back at 147. Let's see. I know he wants to. He's making an effort. Probably, again, you put a gun to my head. You asked me to bet. My bet would be his first fight back is at like 54 or a catch weight of 51, and he works down to 47. Uh, a fight with Porter could be fun. It could also be extremely ugly. Just given their two styles and the way it would mesh. Particularly, we don't know how Maidana's going to look. We don't know how fresh he is, right? I think that would could be an ugly-ass fight, dude. Um, I'd like to see him in there against somebody else. Uh, there, there's a million guys we could throw him in there with from 47 to 54 that are top 25 type guys that would make for fun co-mains, PBC events. I think uh, it, it could work. We'll see what happens. Harrison Property asks, what is Triple G's persona off camera behind the scenes? Much, much, much more serious guy than he put on for years while he was trying to build his brand. And now that he's kind of been dicked over by the system in his eyes, you're going to see a lot more of that dude. 
He's going to be a lot more serious. And <clears throat> he's actually, you know, he's dealt with some real tragedy in his life. And he's a very nice guy, you know, but he's also in the ring, mean motherfucker and all business. And he's got a certain idea of what he wants to do over the next few years. He's going to do it his way. He's not playing games with anybody anymore. And um, so you're going to see more of the real Gennady over the next few years. Les Chroniques du Captain Croquet. Captain Croquet. Greetings from Canada and France. What's up, Canada? What's up, France? Uh, glad you guys are paying attention to the show, man. I know I got, I'm getting more and more Canadian viewers. I can look at my uh, demographics on the show and see who's downloading it and stuff. Not just on YouTube, but on other platforms. I'm getting more and more of you Canadian guys, and I really appreciate it, man. I'm almost from Canada. Detroit is like right there. I grew up in Detroit. It's almost Canada. I go over there at 19 and get drunk. Does that make me almost Italian? I guess. I don't know. Well, you can go a few different ways with that, babe. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, he asks, what do you think of the performance of Nagumbu before his injury? Look, I don't know much about the fighter, okay? I don't know his mentality. He might have a legit injury. I haven't been able to find any information on it. And generally speaking, when I can't find information on an injury, quote unquote, it makes me uh, skeptical. So to me, it looked like he wanted a way out and he was frustrated. I've seen guys try to continue fighting with an ear ripped off. Sebastian Lujan, I think he was fighting Antonio Margarito. His ear was hanging like from a thread. All this here had ripped off and it was hanging by this point, flopping around and he wanted to keep fighting. And the ref went over to him and stopped the fight. He goes, what are you doing, bro? And literally, I can't remember who the ref was, but he goes, your fucking ear's falling off. That's literally what he said to him. I think it was on ESPN or something. Anyway, um, so I've seen all kinds of guys fight through crazy injuries. And if he strained his calf, I just would have liked to have seen him try to push through. So to me, it looked like he knew he was in over his head a little bit. And he knew the guy he was fighting was just several levels above. Maybe it could be a learning lesson from him and he could come back and rebound and improve from it. But based on what I saw, it just looked like a guy looking for a way out. I hope I'm wrong. And I'm not trying to be judgmental because I, I hate judging fighters because these guys get up in the ring and risk their lives. So I respect them. But again, I haven't seen any further reporting on the injury. I haven't seen a doctor's note. I haven't seen anything. If this injury was so bad that you had to get out of the fight, Shouldn't we see a doctor's note? Shouldn't we have some information about him going to the hospital and getting a surgery or something? I haven't heard anything. Now, maybe you guys up in Canada, you've seen something. Or you guys in France, <clears throat> you've seen some reports in French and you could forward them to me. You could tweet them to me or post them in the comments here on YouTube. And I'll take a look at that. But I haven't seen anything. Uh, Hawker Busting asks, who do you think Floyd is going to pick next? Ugh. Well, Pacquiao will probably lose to Keith Thurman. I'm picking Keith Thurman to win that fight by decision. And then Floyd and Manny could fight again in 2020, and a few million morons will buy it. So that's probably it. Prime TV asks, when I will join the LDBC? <laughs> yeah. Man, if uh, I joined the LDBC, the uh, internet might explode. Seriously, James Tucker asked, does Pulev fight in the USA again anytime soon? Probably not, bro. I know the California Commission suspended him, but they do that 
anytime anybody fights. They suspend you, I think, for two months afterwards, just as a health precaution. But Andy Foster, the commissioner there, he's really looking into the situation. And again, it really, it depends on, I think her name is Jenny Ravallo, the Jenny Suchet girl. It depends on how far she wants to push it. If they continue pushing this lawsuit, Pulev's side ain't gonna back down and they have some material that is going to make it very, very ugly. So um, it depends on how truthful that person wants to be with her legal team and how much they wanna keep pursuing things. If that keeps going, if there's litigation going, I can't see him fighting here again. I don't, I just don't see it happening. It's possible, but it, he would, could just as easily fight overseas. And I think he's a mandatory for what? Uh, for one of uh, Joshua, Anthony Joshua's titles. So just fight in the UK, why not? Make more money that way anyway. Uh, Silvio Siocan asks, Hey, Mike, have you heard about chess boxing? It's where they alternate between a round of chess and a round of boxing. Matches end with a checkmate or knockout. No, but I am intrigued. Let me tell you something. Boxing, Joe Rogan said this in a recent podcast with Lennox Lewis. I think Russell Peters were on. Who knew uh, Russell Peters used to box as a welterweight? I've bumped into him at the StubHub Center a few times and talked. To, he knows boxing. Anyway, um... Joe Rogan said, I, I believe, I'm paraphrasing, but he said boxing is a, um, god damn, what, what word did he use, man? Intellectual pursuit. Boxing is an intellectual pursuit. The art of making your opponent miss and you connecting with him. You punching someone in the face and making them not able to do it back to you. The, the craft of that is an intellectual pursuit, much the way chess is. Chess is boxing without physical contact. So I think that that whole premise, I like. I want to hear more about this. Ceylon Mooney, what's up, baby? How you doing? He asked, do you see Burchelt doing him like Miguel Roman? Is this the fight Vargas suddenly gets old? I'm starting to lean that way. Yeah, yeah. Vargas either has one more great performance left in him and I, I don't want to doubt him. That's very possible. He might turn back the clock and give us that one more great performance. Or he might get really old in this fight. It's going to go one of those two ways. Either way, I'm going to be watching. Uh, Silvio Siocana also asks, What are the most extreme things you've heard fighters do to make weight? Enemas? Um, forcing himself to puke? Um, like bulimic girls do? Um, just eating weird, crazy shit that makes you throw up, uh, makes you shit. Um, what are the pills that make you crap? Laxatives, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you just don't want to put all that stuff in your body, uh, right before you're about to get punched in the gut, you know, but I've heard all kinds of stuff. Johnny boy ask, how do you see rugby side Estrada rematch going? Getting more and more jacked for that one, man. I got a favor, Rungvisai. Younger in boxing years, younger, stronger. Estrada does have the craft, and there is a possibility Estrada could have put uh, information up in his boxing database in the first 12 rounds he spent with Rungvisai, and he's spent the time since focusing on that fight and thinking about what he'd do in a rematch, and perhaps... He could outbox him now. He could, you know, make some adjustments and outbox him. He's certainly the more capable boxer. 
I just think that Rangvi Sai is a damn freight train at 115 pounds. And uh, he hasn't gotten any worse for wear physically. Estrada, we don't know. He's getting older. So I, I favor Rungvi Sai. I still think it goes 12 rounds again and he wins. Although we saw what Rungvi Sai did to Chocolatito in their rematch. Do I see him doing that to Estrada? No, but it's very possible he could stop him late in that fight. So uh, again, put a gun to my head. <laughs> That's going to be the theme for this episode. Man, um, Estrada's probably up after the first few rounds. Rungvisai catches up in the middle round, starts chopping him down, and stops him in the 10th. That would be my prediction right now off the top of my head. Okay, one more question, and then we'll do a quick preview. Uh, Frank William asks, why no one wants to fight 160 Charlo? Uh, why 160 Charlo wants to fight no one? That should be the question. I'm going to reword your question. It's not that no one at 160 wants to fight Charlo. Charlo is in the same predicament as Demetrius Andrade. Just fight somebody. Everyone's been talking about Gennady Golovkin. He needs to fight Demetrius Andrade, his first fight back. You know, well not, not everyone's talking about that, but a lot of people on Twitter. And I had to put this one guy on blast today because some of you guys obsess over Demetrius Andrade. Look at his three fights at 160. He's done shit. The, the Brandon Adams guy, the winner of the contender, he's done just about as much as Demetrius Andrade and probably has more name recognition because he was on that damn show. And he's from L.A., so if Golovkin fought him in L.A., it'd, be, it'd make more sense. Uh, Andrade and Charlo and other guys like Billy Joe Saunders, they should take a page out of Golovkin's book. I've talked about Gennady a lot in, when he first came to America and all the lit litigation he was going through with the German promoters and all the stuff he had to go through. But there was a 25-month period. I tweeted about this today. A 25-month period from late 2012 to late 2014 where Golovkin fought eight times. He fought eight times in 25 months. That's literally once every three months, right? Eight knockouts. Fought eight times, eight different opponents, eight knockouts. And I think there was the title unification with, uh, oh, maybe the Lemieux fight wasn't included in that, but it, was, it ran up to the Lemieux fight. So that period of time, where between, again, 25 month period, that's basically two years, fights eight times, scores eight knockouts, all on HBO, regular HBO. None of them were at a casino. They were all at regular venues right? Uh, like StubHub Center, places like that, where fans can afford tickets, $25 for bleacher tickets, right? Not some casino where the cheapest tickets, 250 bucks. But he was fighting regularly. He was exciting and he was creating demand. He was transparent with fans. He was fighting at venues that made sense, markets that make sense. Los Angeles and New York, the two biggest markets, the two global megacities we have in this country. That's where he was fighting. He was doing interviews in English, everything else, right? If Demetrius Andrade really wants the, the fights against Canelo, Jacobs, uh, Golovkin, same thing with Charlo. If Jamal Charlo really wants the fights against the big three, or the big two, it's Golovkin and Canelo. Let's be honest, those are the two A-listers, right? And Jacobs is right under there. If they really want those fights, get busy. Fight. Knock people out. Be exciting. Don't struggle with an inactive old Matvey Korobov, right? Like Jamal Charlo just did. Get active. Beat these guys down. Create demand. And then the fights will happen.
There is a sense of entitlement with too many American boxers where they feel that, hey, I got a title, I fight once or twice a year in very controlled situations, now I am owed this big fight with the top guy. It don't work like that, dude. These guys coming from Mexico, from Latin America, from Africa, look at what Comey just did. He's going to get a fight against Lomachenko later this year, right? Look at what all that guy has been through and what he finally accomplished this year. He's got an injury now, but he'll get a title unification fight with Vasily Lomachenko later this year. Guys from Africa, Latin America, Eastern Europe, and Asia are coming over here and they're willing to fight three, four times a year. They're taking short money up front because the long money's coming in the end because they believe in themselves. And so many American fighters are so damn entitled. Does Charlo deserve a fight with anybody at 160? He should earn it. I like Charlo. He's a top 10 middleweight. He hasn't done shit at middleweight, but just based off his skills, his potential, everything we know about him, he's a top 10 middleweight. It's the same with Demetrius Andre. It's the same with Billy Joe Saunders, who now has moved up to super middleweight. But I want those guys to fight and fight often and create demand. Then they will get the big fights that they want. That's how it works. Okay, preview. This weekend, guys, there ain't shit going on. Friday, April 5th, a showbox card for Mayweather Promotions in Las Vegas. Angelo Leo, a 16-0 featherweight out of Albuquerque fights. Xavier Martinez, a 13-0, 130-pounder out of Sacramento fights. And Andres Cortez, a 10-0 lightweight out of Vegas fights. There's also a card from Dubai with a bunch of prospects uh, that was picked up by ESPN+. So that's interesting. Uh, 2016 Irish Olympian, Olympian David Oliver Joyce, who is a uh, featherweight, a 9-0 featherweight as a pro, uh, he is on that card. And then Saturday, April 6th, there's nothing. The only thing I could find of note is Koke Inoue, which is Naoya Inoue's cousin, trained by the same guy, uh, fighting for the Japanese 140-pound title. So that's it this weekend, a very slow weekend indeed. Uh, so I thank you guys for being here <laughs> because, uh, yeah, usually when the schedule's dead, the shows are dead. But we've got uh, 87 live viewers, 36 likes. So 87 viewers and only 36 likes. Something's wrong with this picture. Some of you just need to get busy and hit the like button. And of course, we have the one jerk off who disliked. Could the one dick who disliked, there's always that one. And I think it's the same fuck every week. Could you just let me know who you are? Could you just comment here in the comments in the chat just so I can know who you are? We're not going to block you. You can come on and dislike every week. I just want to know who you are because I'll give you a shout out every week. Okay? Watch. Everyone's going to start disliking the video now to get a shout out. Uh, let's see. Slap Nuts. That's probably the best name of this episode. Slap Nuts asks, uh, McKenna looks pretty good, but what weight is he going to end up at? Phew. Yeah, he's uh, 47. He's 19. He's at 147. He's probably going to end up at middleweight. So let's see how he looks then. You know, at 147, he's freaking massive. He needs to fill into his man mass. He's very lanky right now. He could fill into his man mass and carry that power up. But once he eventually challenges for a title, it's going to be at 54. And then he'll probably settle at 60. Uh, but I think, you know... 
probably 54. He could probably do the bulk of his work there. If he can stay at 54 for a long time, he, he has a bright future, man. Because the, the brass of that division, the elite of that division, they're moving up to 60 over the next year or so. LC asks, Mike, what boxing books would you recommend? Uh, one off the top of my head is a book called Real Rockies by Rolando Vitale. V-I-T-A-L-E. The Real Rockies. It is about the Italian-American experience in boxing. It goes back over a century. It talks about the racism and prejudice that Italians faced. It, it touches on what they faced in American society, which is something that largely goes omitted from the history books in our schools, which is bullshit. But uh, it talks about really what they faced in boxing, why so many Italian fighters changed their names to Anglo names to, uh, to try to pretend they were, you know, regular Anglo guy or whatever, if they could, if they were light-skinned Italians, lighter-complected Italians, uh, to get paid more money. Because if you had an Italian name, if you had any kind of Latin name in that time, you were paid less. And, you know, it was even worse for black fighters, right? So um, it, it's very interesting. It talks about that, but it also just, it, it's basically an encyclopedia on Italian fighters. And there's a ton, there's a huge, huge section of it that uh, has just so many statistics. If you're a stats nut, there's an you know, index at the end that has a ton of stats on all these Italian fighters. And then, of course, there's the actual book part where he talks about different history, how things changed as it was Italian immigrants and then American-born Italians and things like that. And as the sport spread out from pretty much just being a New York-based operation to a uh, you know, countrywide American uh, operation to a global operation, how that changed with the Italians, uh, Italian fighters, and then how Italians eventually started going into other sports as they became more American and left the ghettos of America and started to prosper more. Although there are still a lot of cities in America where there are a lot of working class and lower class Italian neighborhoods. You know, I, I pretty much grew up in one. Uh, okay. So I would check that one out, dude. That's just off the top of my head right now. I just talked to Regis Progre a couple weeks ago for my Ring Magazine piece, and he talked about loving to read boxing history books, and I told him about that one. So I'm going to try to get a copy of that to him because I think he'd enjoy it. Jose Montejano asks, Mike, what do you think about Max on boxing? I think Max Kellerman took my damn name, prick, and uh, I haven't watched his show at all. But from what I heard, the ratings are abysmal. Abysmal. He's on a platform like ESPN. And my TNC ratings are not quite what Max Kellerman's Max Unboxing ratings are. But if you took my ratings collectively uh, for all the different platforms we're on, added them together for a, about a month of this show, I pretty much equal what he does in one week. And considering that he's on ESPN and I'm not, I think that's pretty, it's very telling. So, um, yeah, ESPN and DAZN, quick rant. They would, they could learn, here's, here's where they could learn something from PBC. I thought PBC made a very smart move hiring Marcos Viegas of Fight Hub to do their unofficial scoring. And Marcos Viegas, he's not a guy that I don't think on his channel that they do fight breakdowns or historical videos or a podcast. He pretty much just does interviews. That's really all they do. But he built up a very popular channel. A lot of people like the interviews. 
and he's very professional, does a very good job. And he's, he's, he has a platform on social media and he's a young guy. I want to say he's uh, 40 or younger, you know, so he's a young guy. He might be in his 40s. I don't, I don't know how old Marcos is, but um, he's definitely less than 50 years old, okay? And PBC hired him to do their unofficial scoring. That's so intelligent because he's a younger guy. He brings his social media followers with him. It provides a new, fresh perspective. And PBC is primarily marketing to millennial fans. That's where they're trying to go. Very smart move by them. Then you have DAZN, ESPN. They're hiring guys in their 60s and their 50s. And that's okay, but they could take a page from them and... and, and some of the UK networks have done this too. It's very smart. Take a guy like me that is a younger guy, that has a following on social media, a podcast that diehard fans listen to, put a guy like me on your broadcast. I'll take myself out of it. Somebody like Marcos, put a guy like him on your podcast, or I'm sorry, on your, on your network, on your shows, and it helps build up your audience. It, it sounds crazy, but it's true. So anyway... Um, the whole Max unboxing thing made me think of that. Max Kellerman loves boxing. He grew up loving the sport. He, he's done a hell of a lot to bring attention to the sport and cover it. And on all of his shows, he talks about it. And I really appreciate him for that. But he is no longer, uh, I would consider him, a diehard boxing media guy. He's just not on the beat, right? He's a mainstream media kind of guy who, who is up in the political sphere of ESPN and all the, the social wokeness they're trying to do there and everything. And it's cool you, ha you have his name attached to it. I like that. But bring in some younger cats. Bring in some guys like me who are I'm basically doing now what Max Kellerman was doing on his uh, local cable access show or whatever in New York when he was first starting out. They need to start bringing in some new school guys to complement that type of shoulder programming. Yeah, I'm saying it, you know? I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw myself in the, on the list. Gail Falkenthal, what's up, Gail? Thank you for watching. She asked, Chino Maidana is the perfect opponent for Ch uh, Chavez Jr., but will it be light heavier cruiserweight? Oh shit. Well, if it's Chavez Jr., it's probably gonna be cruiserweight, unless it's in Texas, then maybe he can you know, get down to 154. Somehow, some way, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, but Chavez, man, that he's too big for Chino. But damn, would that be fun? If somehow they can meet at a catchweight, damn, that would be a fun fight. JM Superstar asks, just as I'm about to go to bed in the UK, I notice TNC is on and live. I guess I'm going to bed or going to work tired tomorrow. JM Superstar, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Salute to you. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. I love all my, uh, my supporters from the UK. Look, I had some people on the, uh, the West Coast bitch that I was doing this show at 7 p.m. Eastern because that's 4 p.m. over there. And they're like, man, I'm still at work. What? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to tell them, this is, I, I do this show for a British fight magazine. You know, 7 p.m. here is, I think, 11 p.m. over in the UK. It might be midnight. So, you know, it's late. So I try to make it as early as I can to not completely leave off the West Coast guys, but to include some of you guys over in the UK and in other parts of the world. And I hope that you appreciate that because I appreciate you guys tuning in. I really, really do. Prime TV asks, how do I get myself a thick Asian like Tiffany? How does he get himself a thick Asian like you, Tiffany? I don't know. She says she doesn't know. You're the one that 
how they get you. <laughs> that's, that's another podcast. Um, yeah, nothing better than a, a thick Asian girl. Best of all worlds. <sighs> Nathan asks, Vojdik versus Brown, who wins? Tough fight, dude. Real tough fight. Brown is a stylistic nightmare for anybody. However, I'm going to go with Vojdik on that one. But that's, that's a, probably a 115-113 kind of fight. And Brown would have a real chance, I'm telling you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Vojdik. He also asks, Christ, Christina Puncher or Kathy Duva, who wins? Duva. Come on, man. Kathy Duva is old school. She grew up in the business. No disrespect to Christina Poncher, but Duva, I wouldn't mess with Kathy. That's a bad chick. I would not mess with her. Pat Gray asks, three favorite fighters to watch today. Well, damn. The list is so long. Um, man, I have to only pick three? Shit. Terrence Crawford, Alexander Usyk, Gennady Golovkin. How about that? Louis Garibay asks, who you got, Shields or Hammer? I'm favoring Shields. Slightly. Slightly favoring Shields. And I'm favoring her because uh, she looked really good in her last fight. Like She's really been working on boxing. She used to be kind of a weight bully that would just physically manhandle uh, her opponents. And... Her last fight, she showed some real boxing skills, and she's been working on that. And I think that's going to do her well against Hammer, who has a better jab and boxes well from the outside. She's tall and long. If this fight happened two years ago, Hammer annihilates her. But now, I'm picking Shields. Nathan asks, best upcoming prospect. Oh, man. You're going to put me on a spot like that right now? Man. You got to define it. Do you want five fights or less, or do you want like 20 fights or less prospect? My prospect of the year last year was Teofimo Lopez. Um, he's not a prospect anymore. He's challenging for titles. I'm still going to go with Daniel Dubois. I know maybe you guys are going to think that's me, um, you know, giving the easy answer or whatever. But if you want guys with five or less fights, I'd really have to think about that. But just in terms of, upside and everything Daniel Dubois man I just I, I, I'm telling you I like what I see out of him he's so young there's so much raw talent there Hawker Mustang asks what do you think about Pauly going into bare knuckle boxing I would like to see Pauly versus McGregor me personally I don't give a shit it's not anything I'm going to watch if he wants to do it if people watch and he can make some money good for him if he bare knuckle boxes Conor McGregor he'll probably knock him out and Pauly Malignaggi knocking you out that says something. But Polly is an actual boxer. And uh, Conor McGregor is a guy who likes to pretend he knows how to box. And a lot of his fans believe him. Cleafus McDonald asks, did you try to visit Dallas Gym that Errol and Charlo train at? No, I was not able to visit any gyms when we were in Dallas. We just worked. We, we flew there Thursday. Tiff and I hit the weigh-ins Friday. Did a whole long day. Didn't eat dinner till what? Seven, eight o'clock? That was lunch. Shit, we, we didn't eat lunch. That what? Yeah, that's right. Because we got up, we worked out, ran over to the weigh-in. We thought they'd have food for us at the weigh-in. They didn't. Uh, so that sucked. But um, they fed us well on fight night. I will give them that. The, 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 the buffet on fight night was awesome. But at the weigh-in, not so much. Anyway, 
Um, worked all day Saturday, of course, and then flew back here at 5 a.m. Sunday. Did so did not sleep Saturday night. So we did not get to go down there. It's on the bucket list. Anonymous asks, hey, Mike, do you think Triple G will be able to finish his six fights on the zone? He's 37 now. So it's going to be December 2021 20, if he does two fights a year. Yeah. So I did an article for Ring Magazine about this. Um, sorry to keep plugging my work, but <laughs> a lot of you guys think I'm just a YouTube guy. And again, the YouTube stuff is a side project on top of my actual, actual boxing journalism. The next issue of Ring, I have two articles in there. I have a feature on Regis Progray, and I also talk about Golovkin and the DAZN deal. And what I talk about in there is the fact that, yeah, it's going to be late 2021. I think he'll be going on 40 by then, by the time it wraps up. And that's assuming that there's no injuries or anything like that that causes delays, which likely something's going to happen. It's very likely his sixth fight doesn't take place until 2022, and he's 40 years old, right? So um, I think he'll finish his career at the zone. I really, really do. Unless something crazy happens, which this is boxing, so it could. Selah Mooney asks, when is Chavez Jr. coming back? Whatever happened with his brothers? His brothers just realized they weren't anywhere near as good as him and stopped boxing, from what I understand. Uh, Chavez Jr., Julio, he can actually box. He actually has some good skills and good talent and a pretty good chin like his old man. Not as good as his old man, obviously, but uh, he just, just doesn't have discipline and he's a aloof kind of wacko. So um, he will be back, but he's been saying he's coming back for years now. But I do think he'll fight this year, probably later this year, probably at cruiserweight. He also asked, whatever happened to James Kirkland? James Kirkland is a freaking nutcase. Uh, he had some legal problems. Um, he blew way up in weight. He went to jail, blew way up in weight, got back down. Uh, just kind of a half crazy lunatic. I don't know what he's doing right now. If he's involved in boxing at all, I haven't heard shit. But yeah, one of those guys that um, just made a couple of poor choices in his life. When he worked with Ann Wolf, he seemed to keep it together because she really controlled him. And she did, she put him through some crazy training. And I thought there was some unethical stuff they did in that gym in relation to sparring partners and the way sparring partners were treated. And it was hard for him to get good sparring because of the way they treated people. Uh, there's, there was some stuff going on in that gym that just shouldn't have been allowed. But other than that, it kept him in line and it fed that demon in him. He would just beat the living fuck out of people till they were unconscious and sparring, which is horrible. But it fed, it made him, you know, it kept him in, in control. And uh, he's, he's just no longer, he no longer has that structure. And he's one of those guys who needed structure. So I don't know if that's going to end well for him. Nurkan Akhtayev asks, when do you think we could see Loma Garcia? You know, maybe next year. Maybe next year. I don't know if Garcia is going to fight again this year. I really don't. I think he made a good amount of money, and that's really all he gives a shit about. Regardless of what he says in interviews, he doesn't love boxing. He just wants to make money. Probably won't fight again this year. It's possible, but probably not. Lomachenko will beat Krola this, uh, you know, coming up soon, and then um, we'll probably fight Come and uh, unify titles. And then next year, maybe him and Garcia can fight. I'd still be interested in that fight. Hamed92 asks, Mike, who you got, Brickhouse versus Katie Taylor? 
You know, Katie Taylor said recently she'd like to move up in weight and fight Cecilia Bracus. I think that's a big fight. As much as people are talking about Shields and Hammer, I think a fight between Bracus and Taylor would be bigger. It'd be much bigger. It'd be over, probably over in the UK. And over in Europe, you know, Bracus is a brand. Uh, Katie Taylor's building up a brand over in the UK. Every bit is accomplished as Carlissa Shields is, really. Uh, her next fight should be a further unification. Then she'll have all the titles in the division. Right now, uh, you know, I have to favor Bracus because she's the bigger girl, bigger woman. Uh, but let me think about it a little bit. Let's see how Taylor looks in her next couple fights. But she definitely has a chance, man. I think she can pull it off. I really think so. Because Bracus is getting older and everything else, she's looked a little shaky in some recent fights. So I don't know. Maybe we could see Taylor pull that off and win that. If she wins that fight, she might be the most accomplished female fighter ever in all of female boxing. We'll have to see. Joe Uden asks, can you see Caleb Plant and David Benavidez squaring off before the end of 2019? No. I see Caleb Plant coming back and having one more fight later this year. I hope it's in Nashville. That would make the most sense. He's dealing with personal tragedy right now. His mother was murdered. Um, he's, you know, he has a lot going on in his life. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard not to feel for the guy. Benavidez is going to fight Durrell later this year, and he's going to win back. He's going to destroy Durrell and win his title back. So maybe next year, maybe next year. Harrison Property asks, have I trained at Big Bear? I've hung out at Big Bear. I've been invited into the ring by Golovkin, and he showed me some neck exercises that I couldn't even do one of them. So I was humbled very quickly by Gennady Golovkin at Big Bear in the ring. Now I can. I started to, there's a little bit of physics involved. Me being six foot four and 220 pounds has a big part to do with it. But the video is on YouTube. It's out there somewhere where you guys can see me. Uh, it's basically doing a push up with your chin. It is way harder than it looks. If you're a guy who weighs 160 pounds, it's a lot easier. The taller, longer, and heavier you are, it's hard but I've been working, training very hard at it ever since Gennady humbled me. So uh, one of these days I'll be able to you know, show him, I do a few of them, uh, him and Abel Sanchez. Southpaw asks, are you covering Canelo vs. Jacobs live? I think I will do a, uh, a fight party for that one. Uh, I, I really do, I think that might be fun. And that would, that would be at the new house because actually, it's, I think that's May 4th. Oh. We're moving that weekend. Oh. So I don't know, guys. You guys have to talk to Tiffany because that, that's the weekend we're officially moving into the house. Now, my cousin Ricky will be here. I'll be probably pretty drunk. So you know what? Maybe this will work. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be tired and everything. Logistically, it's going to be crazy. But if you guys want to see a live fight party, Canelo Jacobs, maybe we can put that together. Maybe we could put that together. But no, I, I can't go out there and cover it in Vegas because we're literally physically going to be moving from this apartment here to the house that weekend. So uh, any more questions? Do we have any more? Is that it? All right, guys. Um, let's see. Man, we still went an hour and a half. Dead week. Still go an hour and a half. That's what we do for you guys here at TNC. Remember your fee. And I'll see you at the fights. Thanks for tuning in, guys.